I am here with Jim Pugh, who I go back many, many years with. I want to say probably 43 years, I think. Jesus. Something like that. I think it would probably be, it's probably long, be longer long than that, but we wouldn't want to talk about it. Right. But anyway, yeah. Well, definitely back to 1980. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, Jim is a amazing keyboardist. He also is has a record, a recording company that is a non-profit called Little Village Foundation. Actually, the record label is called Little Village and the foundation, the non-profit part, the business part is, it's complicated, is Little Village Foundation. It is called that? The foundation is, but the record company, we dropped foundation. Oh, okay. So All it's right. just... Little so it's Little Village, Village Foundation. Yeah, so our Little okay. Village motherfucker, some people. Right, well, that would be from Chess Records. The uh, chess be, thank records, you very much. The chess records version. Yes, we all have that. Oh, yeah. Yes. But anyway, uh, Jim has uh, been doing this a long, long while, and you're from Winnetka. Thank you. Yes, I am, outside uh, of Chicago, the yes. north suburbs, right? North Shore. North Shore. Right next to Glencoe, which is where Mike Bloomfield. Is. Right. I. That's what I kind of thought. I had a feeling you grew up near where Bloomfield yes. grew up. Yeah. Actually, you know, I have an so you were kind of you were kind of the second generation after Bloomfield of we were players. yeah way too yeah. precocious. That was part of the, part of the whole story. I say we because there was a bunch of us. You know, I know an interesting story. I when I was a kid and I grew up on when I, I lived, I grew up next to the train station. I read that, yeah, Northwestern train yeah. station. So I'm a kind of a train nut. Right. But at one point, I I remember walking when I was like six, must have been five or six years old walking to the beach and standing at the corner of Tower Road and Sheridan Road in Winnetka. It was like a Sunday afternoon, the summertime, but about two o'clock, one o'clock in the afternoon. And a whole parade of Cadillacs, brand new Cadillacs, with black people in them, all dressed up, drove by. And I remember going, because there weren't any black people right. at that time in Winnetka. Right. And, I, and even as a little kid, I just went, wow. What is that? And about three or four years ago, well, it's probably more like 10 now, Richard Cousins gave me a book about the Chess Brothers. And it said that Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters and everybody used to drive on Sundays. They would drive up Sheridan Run. For parties. And go to a barbecue yeah. at Chess, at Leonard Chess's Right, backyard. so what town was Chess in? Glencoe. He was? Yeah, he was okay. too. All right. Isn't that, yeah. isn't that weird? That I mean, is very I was a little weird. kid, I'm sitting there going, well, and how, did, how did Richard why? Cousins know that? No, because it was in, I was saying, he gave me a book. Oh, I you see might have book. Seen, there's, okay. a, there's some kind of right. like rebop book. There is a about, book, yeah. About the, the chess golden, book. golden something, right? right. that's it. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, it's got this whole story. I don't mm -hmm. know if that's a place to start, but that was pretty, it had an impact. And I so in a lot of in a lot of ways, though, I kind of think of the, you know, you and Peter Damon and a lot of your friends... Just a lot of the guys our age kind of were doing a similar thing to what Bloomfield and them were doing, but they had done it first. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, there, and, and you know, I think Peter has a sister who, one of his sisters was like 10, we were all, me and Peter and a bunch of our friends, we were all like the youngest kids in our family. You mm -hmm. know, we were the youngest. I'm the youngest right. one. I got four brothers and sisters. Well, his oldest sister was going to the University of Chicago, and she had, because it was the blue scare, because we were way too young. I mean, I was listening to this stuff when I was like 12 and 13 years old and smoking cigarettes and trying to dress like the recover of the, right. the Butterfield record. Right. Yeah. You know, we'd stand there. And that's part of the reason why years later when I work with Elvin, and even to this day, I can't really, I get very nervous. Can't get comfortable, yeah. Well, I, I finally have, no, but I know it, what you it mean. took forever because I know what you mean. it was such an idolizing kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, Those yeah. guys had a really gigantic legacy. Well, especially, I think I found, you know, for years later working with Kahatsu and people like that, that they didn't so much on the West Coast. Maybe they did on the West Coast, but really in, in Winnetka, I mean, in Winnetka, in Chicago and in that part of the North Shore, it was huge. It was, oh, it was huge in San Francisco, too. Yeah. Definitely. Was it big in Glendale? Where are you from? Well, I'm from L.A. Well, I know. It wasn't big in L.A. like it was in San Francisco. 
You know, San Francisco, they blew the scene open when, when they I came met out. somebody, who was I talking to recently that talked about going, that was kind of the same version of that, but in, in LA, god damn it. I was well, they, they played the Golden Bear when they played it. No, but I mean, in terms of the blues scene and, and uh, oh shit, I can't remember. Cut it out. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Well, the blues scene was much different in LA. Than it, that's why I ended up in the Bay Area was because the blue scene was much more wide open with Bill Graham and and all the expats that moved from Chicago. They all guys. moved out there. Yeah. yeah. You know, Muscle White, Bloomfield, John Lee Hooker, you know, Luther Tucker, Francis Clay, all these guys moved to the Bay and kind of made it, that made it more of a scene in a way, you know. I assume they all moved out there because of the hippie scene, yeah. of the music scene because of that. Gravenitis, yeah. Gravenitis, have you ever read his autobiography, the, the, the excerpt of what his autobiography is? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I just sort of discovered it. Well, anyway, I was talking about Peter Damon's sister. She right. had all the records, and we started, and somehow from that, and this is like, we were like, what year did Resurrection of Pig Boy Crabshaw come out? That's probably 68, 67, 68. I think it's got to have been 67. Yeah. That was one of the first records. And when I, around that time that I got that, then I got Chicago Blues Today, which came out in 65. Yeah. And those were the records to me. And then, then there was like Live at the Regal. Right. And that was kind of, All and that's the was for everybody. And yeah. that's My Life Baby, that, that right. Junior Wells. That's the same time. And then later on, it left my blues in San Francisco, which actually was a horrible name for a record. But that's had, a great record. Yeah, that's a great record. And then there's the one that Tim played on, too, Tim Kahatsu. I wasn't that Played familiar. on the, 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 the live one. Right. It, yeah. Was that on her, our Hulu or was that on Chess? Mm -mm. That was on Vanguard, and it was recorded in Berkeley. Right, and with the, the New Orleans, Orleans house, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, that right. was kind of, yeah, well, Kahatsu was a whole other Yeah, thing. yeah. You should interview him. Well, that'd be hard. <laughs> when I get into resurrections, I will. When I get into resurrections, I will. But I mean, you know, I mean, the inter interesting thing is we both know all these same people from that time period. You know, and uh, and I think you know you came into the blues thing. I remember I met you at Major Ponds at one point. I lived next door. They used to right. hand me drinks over the fence. And I remember you told me you played with, was it Rubicon that became like? Yeah, that became Night Ranger. Night yeah. Ranger, that's what it was. Yeah, I always yeah, remember I played, that. I played, uh, like, you know, I, I, I really, because a keyboard player and as a musician, I, I really liked. When I came, you know what, I, when I came to California and I came to San Francisco, people took me around to hear music and I went, I don't like any of this. And then someone took me to, to the Keystone Berkeley to see Tower. And there was like Hell's Angels and Black Panthers and La Raza. And I went, well, this is cool. I like this. So, so the, East I, I was, Bay, the East Bay, the East Bay, Bay thing a good, was really sort yeah, of Yeah, it had more, a good uh, scene. Although I, I have, and it's kind of is relevant now, but I sort of, from working with Jerry Martini in that band Rubicon, I really learned, I was a huge Sly fan, and I kind of mm -hmm. got to know from a peripheral thing in my early 20s, all these people that were in that scene. And there is this sort of, very subliminal and kind of unknown thing of uh, San Francisco funk, which right, um, as opposed to um, the East, in terms of Oakland kind of tower kind of right. So and that was part of the reason I stayed was because of the tower, and so I was sort of off into that. But I also would play. I played blues. You know, it, it was interesting because I played. I could kind of. I to this day, I, I don't profess to be a particularly good musician, although I like the way I play my version of Otis Span as much as, I mean, there are people that play it better than I think, but not many. I, I mean, I could do that. It was something that I just kind of taught myself. I'm not an expert at it, but I like the way that I do it. So it, but at the same time that I was playing on American Bandstand and doing all those other things with Rubicon, I played on the Midnight Special. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I'm not that. It was I was young for doing that too. But um, I also could go around to places like Dottie's, and I could play. Right. I knew sort of the stuff that they did. Yeah, and you I said, 
And you said when you played at Dottie's, like there was a, uh, they had a B3 already there. Yeah. And I also, at the same time, I also, I started playing what I call a Mexican music, which was Ranchera, kind of Little Joe and La Familia. Right. Um, to make money. And also I had a lot of friends that did it. So I had this sort of, I just really, you know, uh, when I, I went to the University of Pacific for about, I don't know, a cup of coffee for about three or four months. That's and then in I, Stockton? Yeah, and then I dropped out and and moved in with some people that I knew in the Fillmore District and really started to sort of, my parents had said something like, you know, okay, but when you run out of money, you can come home and we'll talk about what you're going to do next. Right. And I never went home. <laughs> I'm just curious, did you know Chris Isaac when he was going there? No. Because he went there, too. No. Yeah, he Pacific did. And, and, although we both Boston. knew... Uh, well, he's from Stockton, and I think... Oh, okay. He... he um, I'm not sure that he was actually... A, 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 you know, he was a day student, or whatever they call it, because he lived with his parents. But we knew the same football players. There was hmm. Willie Viney and uh, Willard Harrell, and he knew these guys, and I sort of knew them. Well, we talked about it years later. Right. Isaac's really smart. A lot of these guys are really smart. That's what I've found. No, they're really no, smart. No, that's what I've found yeah, doing yeah. these interviews. Steve Miller yeah. is really smart. Sure right? is. Yeah. And Elvin Amen. is like ridiculous. Elvin Elvin's teaches like a himself. genius, yeah. The Japanese, yeah. and, really and is, yeah. Huey is really smart. Yep. Huey Lewis. There are other people that Graminitis. actually... I bet. He is. Masawai. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, but yeah. and but people that are academically really, I mean, I have a feeling that one of the things about to be successful because people ask me, well, how do you be successful? Not that I, I am, but I said if you want to be successful in the music business, go to school and write papers because that's what these people can do. I mean, not that they write papers, but they write songs and they right. Well, they I know mean, how to go from the beginning, yeah. middle, and end, and I, I had to sort of figure that out. Steve Miller is like astounding how smart he is. Right. I mean, with recording and things like that, you know, just he's, that whole thing of people that can put everything he's together. He's very, um, Boz is really, Boz yeah. is really smart. Yeah. And they're, and really detail oriented. I'm more sort of, I'm painting outside the numbers. I'm sort of, and I do the same thing with Little Village. I kind of like the minutia of things is something I've had to learn how to handle at an, at an old age. I mean, it's a little late in the game, but I'm doing it. Um, yeah. And, I mean, you do have quite a wide interest in uh, musically. I mean, you know, you've, you've been in, in R&B. You've been in, I mean, with Etta, you know, that's Stone R&B. Uh, you know, Robert Cray, which I guess you would say was, you know, blues-oriented. Would you call it blues-oriented R&B or pop? What would you call it? I don't know what you call Robert. I mean, Robert's it's singer-songwriter. And, you know, yeah. and... Um, I mean, I think if he wasn't black, he'd probably be considered like Elvis Costello. But yeah. people kind of, because he plays guitar, I mean, that, that sounds like it's a, a fucked up thing to say, but it, it it's true that his singing and his song, his songwriting alone is is unique. He could, I've seen him, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. He's another person who is, and it's complete, it's not like Steve Miller smart, I suppose. But he's somebody that could sit there for five minutes and write a song mm -hmm. that I couldn't write in 50 yeah. years. It just yeah. comes out of him, and, and it's brilliant. Um, yeah, you think that's just doing it all the time? or uh, I think he's one of those people that's really gifted. Yeah. You know? It's not a parlay trick. It's not some... Right. Uh, some people and that you we've mentioned that I've worked with, I think that... that um, it's calculated. It's a thing. You know, like when I well, write like songs, study. if I got a beginning and a middle, I can fill in the rest. Right, right. You right. know, but there's some people that just kind of start and it comes out. Yeah. It's just like... It's almost like a that? painting or something. You know, yeah. and if you compliment them, oh, especially Craig, if you tell Craig, it's like, man, I really like the way you did that. He'll never do it again. Hmm. <laughs> he doesn't repeat himself. It's yeah. just, you know, and yeah. he, he gets a lot of shit, but uh, from some people, and he really is, you know, the coolest person I ever worked with, I guess. Yeah, and you worked with him for 20 years? Well, the way that I added up, it's about 24 years, and I call it 25 years. It's 20, uh, 24 years and eight months or something like uh -huh. that. 
Were you the longest member in that band besides Richard or Richard Cousins? Or? I think that I was in it, and this, you know, it doesn't make any difference. Richard, that band that was with Richard and those guys when it was a quartet, that was mm -hmm. really the band and everybody else that doesn't make any difference. I did it longer than anybody. Did you? But, and I thought about that too, but except that maybe one of the sound guys has done it longer. But Richard, obviously, is the whole thing. I mean, yeah, him and Richard. He did, and, he him did and it for Richard, 20 years. And then yeah, and Richard left. and him were like teenagers together, right? Yeah, and, yeah, and Bobby Murray, if you, right. you know, and, right. and that whole thing. No, they were, and, and one of them is sort of extrovert, and one of them is introverted. Mm -hmm. Guess, you know. Yeah, that's um, kind of, that's, I'm starting to see that a lot yeah. <laughs> with friendships where, you know, that happens. Um, and then... Uh, and then I was going to say, you know, in between, you've backed up so many different people. I remember you're on, you're on that Otis Rush tour in the I want to say it was early '80s. Is yeah. that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and did the record that came out on Blind Pig. That's a, to me, a really great Otis Rush record. It was. I've been Pops. told that it's his favorite record. It was yeah. his favorite record. You know, the really interesting thing to me is, you know, I spent a lot of time, um, sort of not telling people where I was from for various reasons. It's different in California than it is in other parts of the country. But I didn't, and, and I actually hired Otis Rush when I was a freshman in high school. I remember you told me that. And, and, yeah. um, and it was incredible because... What was it for, though? Just a dance. Really? It was just a dance? Well, it, it got to be, and from that... Well, you know, the, have you heard the, the story? It's, I guess I have told it more than once about... How I hired Coco Taylor. Yeah, I, I read that in that. But see, you never told me that one. Yeah, you never yeah, told well, me that Well, it, 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 uh, the well, it didn't happen. You told the, the thing, the part of the story I didn't tell you was, I don't know, this isn't linear. I don't know if you could use it. But what happened was, is that they had, I, when I was in high school, they said, well, you have to have an activity. And I went, I don't, know, I don't want to do it. Well, I said, okay, I'll be on the dance committee. And it was somebody's mother and a couple of girls and me. And they say, well, who do you want to hire to for the play to dance? I go, oh, I don't know. I buy records from Bob Kester at the Jazz Record Mart. Right. We call him. So I called him. He said, well, you know, Coco Taylor. What about that? And I went, oh, that I just seen Peter and I just seen her at the, the Chicago Blues Festival in 69. And I was like, wow, that'd be really cool. Well, then I'm sitting there and Bob Kester, it was a three-way call with Bob Kester, me, and Willie Dixon. Wow. And I called, I guess I called her, as the story goes. Right, I called her. in that just, article, you, she I called, talks about uh, yeah, that. Yeah. And, and, and um, I talked to Willie, because Willie Dixon was managing Coco, too. So she right. came and played at the school. It was, it was great and everything. And then, nothing, I didn't think, then about 20 years later, I'm playing at a blues festival in, in Santa Cruz. Right. With um, with with Robert and there's all these guys that are kind of like blues authorities, Dick Waterman and Harry Duncan. Right. right. They're standing. They're standing there and they're talking in the backstage and talking to this woman. And this and I come walking by and my campus. Said, oh, you know, you got to meet Mrs. Dixon and it was Willie's widow. And so Jim called talked to to Willie on the phone when he was. 14 years old right. and I shook her hand and I said yeah it was very nice and right then one of them who I won't say stepped right in front of me like basically took his <laughs> I think I know who it was and went, oh yeah well I don't want to talk about that I'm going to talk about me and Junior Wells at Teresa's and you know and uh, and I just went at that point the way people are I just kind of went okay and I turned and walked away and as I was walking away they go excuse me and I Jim excuse me and I remember I turned around and the woman Ted Mrs. Dixon had taken the guys and pushed him out of the way and said I answered the phone that day yeah, that's wild yeah and she said that's pretty amazing she said she said <laughs> she said you know he he talked about that that there was some white boy from the North Shore that called uh, her up yeah you know, the shit so he arranged it then for you. Oh yeah, yeah he, he was the manager. I think he probably got. He yeah. probably took twenty percent. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, well, people well, he go, pretty much discovered. People, 
people go, oh, Jim, that's the coolest thing in the world. That's so cool. I go, it really wasn't that cool because at some point I had to turn the phone over to Eunice Jackson's mother. I go, <laughs> here, talk money with him. <laughs> it, was, it was really dumb. It was way dumb. But anyway. <laughs> now, the other one I remember a long time ago, you told me you called up uh, a bar in New Orleans to talk to uh, Roosevelt Sykes. That it wasn't the. I think it was the Court of Two Sisters. But I remember I did this thing for my 16th birthday. I I said I told my parents I said because I had Blues Unlimited magazine. Mm -hmm. That magazine used to have the phone numbers of everything, right? right? right and right. I said I just want to call people on the phone. And I had the directory That's for. Great. I had the directory for the Musicians Union in Chicago too. I think my brother had. So I called up Muddy Waters, and then I started looking through this thing. Called in one of the places. Was, so did you I talk was, to Muddy? Yeah, but I mean, what do you say? I know. No, yeah. <laughs> you go, Hi. When you're that age, <laughs> you go, no, you I know. Up the phone I go, met BB wow. King, and I went. I went up to BB King in this line, and and he goes, "Hello." I said, "Do you know Muddy Waters?" <laughs> and he went, "Yes." <laughs> he was waiting for me uh, to it's say like, something uh, about was, him. You know. It was, it was embarrassing. But anyway, so I think I called, I think it was, the, but people say it can't, couldn't be, but I think I called the Court of Two Sisters on Bourbon Street. And you could hear a piano on the right, and it was like That's a bartender yeah. going like, hello. And I go, can I speak to Roosevelt Sykes? And, they, right. and it was in the, you know, Blues Unlimited right. magazine that yeah. he was playing there. The That's British great. crazy. So you yeah. could hear him go, Roosevelt, the phone's for you. And he comes, and I could go, uh, when are you coming to Chicago? And he, <laughs> like, huh? <laughs> totally. No, that's yeah. great, though. I'm glad somebody else did it, too. <laughs> oh, I did a lot of stupid shit like yeah, that. Yeah, I did, too, man. Same here. Well, it's funny, man. I mean, getting into it as a teen, <coughs> I think there's a thing, there's a certain commitment that it takes to get into it, like, at that age. Well, I, I, I guess. I mean, I, I, I look at it as being a passion. I mean, yeah, I just, well, that's I, really, I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, and I didn't really realize the consequence of everything much at that point. It just was kind of like, I mean, I certainly didn't think one day. I'll be pedigree. playing with these guys. I'll be playing. I'll yeah. be a no. pedigree, and I will have started before. You know, I was but here that's first. That's the amazing thing yeah. about life, though, is, you know, that you... You idolize these guys when you're young, and the next thing you know, 20 years later, you're playing on stage with them. Well, and that's a that's a super exciting. That's thing. that's it. I, but I didn't certainly didn't consider. Well, I cert. I mean, I, and I definitely wasn't intended. I mean, I should. I'm supposed to have been riding the Northwestern train with a Brooks Brothers suit and a ham sandwich in my briefcase. Right. This is not what. <laughs> what are you doing? Not what, not what your parents ordered. <laughs> no, it's not at all. What do your brothers do, by the way? My brother, well, now, my one brother, I have one brother and two sisters. My older brother, um, he played music for years. And he actually, it's kind of, he was like, he's like Gravenite's age. He was going and playing on this and recording on the South Side when he was in high school. He was doing it way early as wow. well. And you know something, I'll tell you, my parents, like I was the youngest one, by the time I was a freshman in high school, my, everybody else in my family was gone. So I'd sit there with my parents, and they weren't real happy people at this point. And my father goes, you know, Jim, I know you're going down there to the south side, and you're trying to sneak into places, and if you keep doing that, they're going to kill you. You know, so knock that off. And my mother would sort of go, oh, Ezra, leave him alone. I did the same thing in high school. <laughs> and she'd go, Gene, <laughs> God damn it, What? Because he was from Texas and she was from Chicago. Said, yeah, you know, that's, that's great. Weird. Did she go to the South Side? Well, she ran. She had boyfriends and stuff, and ran around. And every, well, right. I mean, the whole thing of people, of white people, and trying to you know embrace black culture is right. nothing new. Like, goes, and then no. you know, and Papa said, he goes, he goes, you know, and I know you're smoking marijuana, and this is like '69 or something. Goes, right. Don't do that. And she goes, I'll leave him alone. I didn't say it. <laughs> she goes, that fuck that Your I'm mom married. saved the day. Right. And then you were how old when you moved to California? Well, it was like right after high school. I mean, I, the first person I think I played with of note was Luther Tucker. Oh, really? And I played okay. with him at the Country Rose on Irving. Now, do you remember what year? 74. Was this with uh, uh, with uh, 
Was Gary in the band? Gary Silva? Do I remember? don't remember. I don't really. There was a, some guy who I think was from France playing guitar. Obviously, it wasn't Paris Slim, but there was. I didn't know any. They were kind of like Marin guys. Right, right. That's how Tucker always But I didn't think it was particularly. Right, that They thought they were great. Of course they did. Yeah, they were playing with Luther Tucker. They were from Marin. They were playing with Luther Yeah, no, I know. The best band I remember seeing Luther with back then was he had Gary and Stu Blank. Well, that would have been. And that's a good band. Yeah. You know, I think it was sort of typical the way that I am. I, I I remember talking to Luther, and he was nice to me, although they tried to stiff me. I think he was managed by somebody. But anyway, it was like there was, you know, well, and, and, you know, and and uh, um, but what I was going to say, oh, the, uh, I said, oh, you know, I have this Otis Rush record, and you should do one of those songs. He goes, well, okay. he had a way of talking. You can do it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, well, he yeah, goes, I yeah, well, maybe I probably should. You know, no, I don't maybe know that I record. Should. I went home and looked at it, and he was on it. I don't. I was telling him that. to play a song that's on a record that he's on. <laughs> you idiot! But anyway, that was that's great. And then uh, I remember also that you were telling me Daddy's. Stardust Lounge yes. in San Francisco, uh, that Charles Brown had a gig there. He didn't, he would come in, his picture was on the wall, he would come in and play Oregon as, you know. Was he some, just sitting in? Yeah, he didn't have a gig there. Okay. But he would come, he would, they were friends. Right. Had been, Lewis Madison was the organ player there, who was the guy who had been in the famous Flames. Right, right. And he was actually one of the first organ players that I really listened to, um, a lot. There were a lot of great organ players at that time in San Francisco, but he was, he was one of them. He and, and people later on. He it's a typical thing. Um, later on, when he played at uh, at Eli's, he was kind of a little bit around the bend. But when he played, right. when he played at Dottie's, he seriously could flat out play tempo bebop. Wow. Yeah. No, he could really, and I then go that. into. You know, uh, I stand accused, but with a big, huge organ right. version of it and sing it. It, it was tough. It wow. was really tough. So, she had a great act too. She, she did. She had wild she did act. A thing with her butt cheeks. Oh yeah, she do the tempo thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you ended up at Larry Blake's. I want to say within. Was that about 78? No, it was later was on. It later? I started playing with Alvin, I think like in 81. And then I had gotten married and had a kid, and you know, I kind of went back and forth, and I stopped. I only played with Alvin for like two, maybe three years. Mm -hmm. And then, but, and I didn't really know any of those guys that were in that band, in the rap band. Or I didn't know any of those guys idea. that played. With Alvin, I mean, I met all. Oh, really? Some of okay. them I kind of knew. I knew Tyler because he used to play with. I knew of him because he played in Gideon and Power. Um, but so I, you know, it's one of those weird kind of slightly. Was open. Carl in the band? At that point? Yeah, Carl Severin. Uh, yeah. yeah, I went to Blake's on a Thursday night, and I don't know what it was, but the guy who played piano, mm -hmm. Clay, Clay Cotton, right? He sort of at the end of the night he was no longer playing in the rap band and right. I was right it was kind of, and I played and I started playing on Monday nights with you I that remember. was almost yeah, I, I played Thursday night and then I came back and played on Saturday and then I played on Monday I didn't start thinking about money until I was married and had a kid you know right right because that's kids. when it becomes crystal clear right yeah. I mean sort of uh, and then I didn't really start thinking about it until I got a mortgage I mean once you right. get a mortgage then the game is kind of right over. the only money I've ever made really is from buying and selling houses that I really well, wow. yeah right so it's like that so the the other the other guy I know you're with for a long time was uh was Chris Isaac yeah I, I was well that's you said that was about a decade that was about Kenny Dale Johnson. I right. don't think it was. It might have been. The last record I played on him was the Christmas record. Yeah, it was maybe right around that. And then that was Etta the early two thousands. Was Etta about a decade? Etta James. Well, that was from right around the time from. It started out being with, 
was the kind of the rat band. And that was in the early 80s. Right, I remember and that. And then after a while, she started to have her, her, her own band. It was kind of an amazing story. Um, so she was kind of like, at, at the point when she started playing with the rat band, she really didn't have a group, did she? No, she used different groups. Right. She was one that there's a lot of people that have done it that way. She yeah. had sort of musicians all over. And then she started to carry certain musicians and pick up other ones. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, she had a band that was basically, it was a lot, you know, it's interesting because there was a lot of um, Bay Area musicians, even though, she lived in L.A. and worked with all right. these L.A. musicians. Right. She really was sort of, in some ways, of San Franciscan more than she was anywhere. Well, she was from there, right? Right, but you yeah. would figure that she would have, you know... Well, Being in L.A. for so long, yeah. It's an interesting combination. I mean, she had... I, that's where I started working with Mike Finnegan. Ah, um, right. Um, he's the only organ player I've ever... Oh, he's the only keyboard player I've ever worked with. Usually when there's two keyboards, I play organ and the other person plays piano. But with mm -hmm. him, I play piano and he played organ. So you guys were always on those instruments. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. I um, juggled playing with with um, Chris Isaac and Robert Craig. Because Chris just sort of said, look, whenever you don't have a gig with Robert, just send me a, a tell me and I'll send you a plane ticket. And mm -hmm. There were times when I was like doing, like I'd be on the road with both at the same time and going back and forth. Because yeah. he would play wow. without a keyboard player. Yeah. And then eventually, it took him a while. I think that's because I kept telling him, I said, you know, you can get someone to do this for you full time. Right. You don't have to, you know, right. There's no mystery about it. Um, yeah. He's, he's, you know, he's another guy. He's a really smart guy. He's a great guy. Um, and my and Kenny Dale Johnson, who you know right. I'm friends yeah. with. Yeah. And, and, you know, he and I are friends. We're kind of like, we still, it's pathetic. We talk like. Well, I think we both knew we Kenny before he was even playing with Chris. Oh, yeah. Isn't that right? For sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I talk to him four or five times a week, Do four you? or five times a day. Okay. Yeah, we and a half for we'll years. Tell him so hello. For sure. Um, he And he's done that gig for, because that started in the early 80s. Right. Um, so yeah in fact I remember after an A's game one time I went and saw you he was he was driving and we went to Eli's and saw you play right well he was one of the first Texans I think I met that had moved to California so it was kind of like you know kind of a big deal when you meet somebody a working musician from Texas I'm in a band now but I'm the only guy that's not from Texas really yeah. Now, who's that? The Phantom Blues Band. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because, uh, what's the drum? I'm blanking on the Tony Ronagle. Tony Ronagle. Everybody has their Texas. own way of That's the other thing that's yeah. really interesting about blues is everybody has their own way of playing it, and everybody thinks that they're right. You know, so it's really <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's And okay. you better get a rhythm section <laughs> that feels right about each other, huh? Well, sure. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know. People like I did a gig recently where they somebody and it was with a, a band, a big band, and they'd written out "Sweet Home Chicago" and it was one of these like ten-page <laughs> charts, you know. And the guy, a very studious-looking guy, the bass player, goes, well, "Jim, I understand you know something about this music. Now, if there's anything that you can tell me to do that will make it more authentic." Let did that know. work? And I go, you see how at the end of every 12 bars it goes, da 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 He goes, yeah. Toss go, that. Don't ever play that again in your life. <laughs> and don't go, da 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 Yeah, you could leave it. <laughs> oh, God. That's funny. Yeah, that is a big no-no, all right. Well, it's just something you get kind of tight. You know? Yeah. Um, so... So basically, you were on the road with with Robert until uh, Robert Cray until you were sixty. Yeah, I mean it so, was. So it you're was, talking a lot of road stuff. Yeah, it was from my early thirties to you know, just about sixty. I think it was within months of my sixtieth weeks of my sixtieth yeah. birthday. Now that you think about it, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so when you left that gig, that's kind of when you kind of went time to change things well I I I realized I have enough of 
if what little sense I have, I, I realize that um, nobody wants a 60-year-old piano player. Um, and also, I, I just wasn't sure I wanted to get in the back of a bus and ride around right. doing what I'd done. I'd become pretty cynical and kind of burned out on the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And I had been for a while. I did that gig probably. Yeah. You know, according to them, probably. Ten. And it's very nice. Robert was very, very considerate about the whole thing. I became a pain in the ass. But when I got done, I really tried to focus on... Um, Oh, it's, it's real silly, but when you get in a position, I mean, I was 60 years old, I still I had a mortgage, I still had kids in the house, I had things I had to, I mean, I, I had to figure stuff out. So I sort of hit on this idea of starting a record company, mainly uh, with the idea that I was going to do something that I had a passion for. Um, and I was only going to, I was trying to, dis really, it was, it, there was a certain amount of forethought, I tried to make sure that I only did the things that I wanted to do and could do and not do the things that I couldn't do. And by that, people go like, well, you give the artist a thousand CDs. That's yeah, so that's great. that's a good deal. Yeah, that's a great yeah. deal. But you know, the thing is, is that it's, they go, that's really great. You do that. And I go, no, actually, it's because I don't, everybody I know that has a record company, they either owe money or they're owed money. And I, don't, I can't keep track of anything. Right. right. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be in the business. And the way that Little Village is set up, the artist is responsible for all of those things. It's so like, do they pretty much do their own ads and that kind of well, thing? Well, no, no, no. The promotion and all that. We oh, you that. guys do the promotion. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, they're, they're the, uh, there's, you know, and a, and a, and a book gigs and, uh, you know, yeah. some when I can. You you kind of do showcases and yeah, things and also, like that. And yeah, and music and the festivals. And, right. And there are opportunities. And now I'm doing... We're doing sort of different NPR kind of radio programs. It seems like you're able to work that. Yeah. So have sure you guys so had any luck with Grammy nominations or anything like that? We haven't gotten a Grammy nomination yet. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and that's funny too because the first record I ever produced was the Gospel Hummingbirds. It was a quartet, and that got nominated for a Grammy. And that was and Blind Pig. And that was Blind Pig. Right. And back then, and then every record I did with Cray, and I produced a few records for Cray that got nominated too. I always kind of like just figure, well, it'll be anybody can get nominated. Well, it's nominated. a it's a that's a label thing though. There's a definite label. Well, Blind Pig got nominated. You know, they that's what I'm saying because I mean I got nominated on a Blind Pig record. Well, I don't know how they did it. They, I think it. Yeah, they had some kind at of at that end. time though. They had the, some kind of at end. that time. I don't think there was any other um, record. No, they said that the the only one was Roy Rogers and Norton Buffalo that had been nominated. But anyway, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Grammy nominations are great. Winning a Grammy, I've done, I've done that. I've got one. I only have one Grammy. God, this shows what an asshole I am. I only have one Grammy. And so what I do is, I in the summertime... Is, I it, just, for, is it for Cray? Yeah. yeah. And it, you have to be the... In order to get a Grammy, you have to be the artist. And so it was the Robert Cray band. Band, so they gave right. All of us. right. So right. anyway... I, <laughs> You know, sometime I use it as a doorstop on the front door. People come over and they go, they walk in and go, hey, is that a Grammy? I go, oh, that. <laughs> you know, it's like, what do you <laughs> Maybe you should just have it on your kitchen table uh, where the bills are. You no, know, right. You know, it's like, it's, what do you right. do? I mean, right. I don't have, there's people, you go to people's houses and they got 30 of them. And they got gold records all over their walls. Yeah, it's a vanity wall. And I, I sort of did that. I, when my kids were growing up, I did have a vanity wall because Deborah insisted that they at least be able to have. They couldn't have any pride knowing me personally. They could at least look at the wall and go, oh, I guess he's done something. Well, here's something I'm, I'm curious about. So being on the road all that time with your wife at home taking care of the kids, how much guilt do you think gets into that? Oh, there's, I'm not sure with who. Who's got the guilt? You. Why, for being gone? Yeah. Well, somebody told me, Wayne Jackson told me early on, said, you know, if you're there for your family when you're, like if I came home and immediately split, right, then that would have been bad. But so you're I'm saying you wouldn't do that? No, I yeah. supported my family, you know, and, you know, and the interesting thing about the Robert Cray band was for a long time, I was the only person in the band that wasn't a military brat. That yeah. That kind of life. Yeah. 
And actually, I have, I have kind of an admiration, for, I do, for people that grow up in that life because I think there's a lot of techniques and things that they, they learn how to get along. Mm-hmm. You know, they know how to figure out, you know, how to meet new people. Right. And all the right. things, how to get, find some place to eat, you know. Right. Kind of real basic stuff that you have yeah. to have if you're moving from And it's place the same thing with my family. I think I've been really fortunate that my kids have, for, for I mean, I'm very happy. And yeah. they are, and my wife is. Now, but there certainly is a lot of, there's a lot of baggage, you bet. <laughs> well, that's, I guess, what I'm saying. Yeah, because, sure. I mean, I know, I know that's definitely the case with me to a certain degree with my kids and, and, uh, you know, my wife and, and so on. But, I mean, you know, it sort of comes with the job, doesn't it? Yeah. And I don't, you know, I, I've i been fortunate that, I mean, like when I was home, I would, and there were, there, there definitely, I mean, Cray doesn't, I think even when he worked a lot, it was probably, you were gone six months out of the year. Wow, that's a lot. It is. Yeah. But you're around six months out of the year. Right. So that's a lot better than some. Yeah. Well, yeah. there are a lot. Of, man, there are a lot of people I know that take their kids to childcare at six o'clock in the morning, True. and come and pick them up at eight o'clock at night. Right. That's <clears> pretty <throat> awful. Yeah. Yeah, that's you know, pretty I didn't, awful. I didn't do that. Yeah. So. Well, so the uh, so back to uh, Little Village. Uh, did, did you come? Up, how did you come up with that name? By the way, I mean, I already know. I think, but. Well, from you have kind of a double, double meaning on it, don't you? Well, sure. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't really know. I don't know. I mean, it, it wasn't so much the anecdotal part of it, although that was part of it. I think part of it was the idea. I, I really wanted. I realized early on, as we all know, that people who are known are not necessarily there's plenty of people around that are musicians that nobody ever hears the music right and so i tried to from that point of view and i and to make it that kind of thing um that we would do that and trying to do something really small i'm not trying it's amazing if you take the profit out of the music business you really are free to experiment with things that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise i've done right Teenage Mariachi in Bakersfield. I've done, I've just, we got a record coming out in Tagalog that's um, these three Filipino American women. Um, that's, it's beautiful. And then and Aki Kumar, the whole thing with Aki right. Kumar. Aki's blown up. With, uh, you know, singing songs in Hindi to mm-hmm. blues sort of inflected that whole thing that would never happen with a record company no 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 and um and so there have been and there's there's and there's a lot of stories the great thing about little village is first of all it's like i i give nothing but credit to people like kid anderson and to and to rick Estrin and there and Mike Kappas and all the people that help Strockwitz, Strockwitz, Strockwitz. As yeah. you probably know, I don't know about your relationship with Chris Strockwitz, but he never really gave me the time of day. Well, he kind He's of did, a, he, he kind of did every other day. <laughs> I mean, he was sort of a grumpy old man. That yeah, he was like, a cur- curmudgeon. He, he did, yeah. he, well, he didn't. But he could be like, fascinating to talk oh, to. Oh no! If you I, got him on a good day, he was. Fast the last few years of his life, yeah. I and when I had started Little Village, he was very, very helpful to me. Yeah, and and really inspiring. I mean, he was really like, "This is really great that you're doing this." Is fabulous. That's, That's and, wonderful. You know, uh, at the same time, he would say horrible things about other people. I mean, he was really very nice. And we went to, I went to some dances with him, and and we I'd pick him up at his place. And so that was really he was one of, one of a lot of people. But there's like. The real nuts and bolts of, of Little Village is, has little, it doesn't have that much to do with me. Um, I've been lucky to sort of been a good judge of character. See it, Mark, I'm friends with you. I'm, I have good good <laughs> sense of things. No, I'm really lucky because there's, there's, and there's more on the horizon. And I've sort of developed a thing that originally all I wanted to do was play and produce records, and I don't produce records so much anymore, and I kind of don't even play that much anymore. I've sort of gotten into the part of the business that I swore that I didn't want anything to do with, and that's kind of board governance and 
development and uh, right. But you know, those are great skills to have. Yeah, I mean, in music, it's a very rare thing for actual musicians to get involved in the nuts and bolts of the business. Well, it, it has been, um, you know, we've done, I think it's going to be, we've done in, in less than in nine years, eight, nine years, we've done 70 records. That's amazing. Somebody told me today. Yeah, that's really oh, Brett from, um, uh, from Living Blues told me that's more than Alligator does in a year. But it's also, yeah. it's not held to the same standard. And so it's not quite the same thing. But all you need to do is help people a little bit and it makes a difference. There are plenty we use as a metric if somebody goes to somewhere else and gets a real record deal. Chris Isaac. Did. Yeah, or Chris, Chris, Chris Kane. Kane, you mean. Chris yeah, Isaac. Chris Kane. Chris right. Kane. And there's other people right. too. Yeah. Um, well, you Kevin did a record Burton. on, you did the record on Ron. Ron was or, somebody or, who, unfortunately, um, it was just a little bit too late because... Ron Thompson, yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, he, of course, along with yourself, I went back into the 70s with him. Mm -hmm. He was very, very talented. Great artist, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, it is. I've done a fair number of records. Did you do a stuff. record on Fillmore Slim? I'm trying to remember. No, I couldn't justify... Um, I, I, I got up, it was sort of the board of directors, and it was also, I mean, I'm doing, I'm working with children's groups. Right, and the idea right, of I got the you. biggest pimp in the world. Yeah, like, no. I know. <laughs> you can't do that. You know, I'll tell I was going to say, Tia Carroll, you did a record with? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Did John, Marina. was John Blues Boyd one of them? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying, I'm just trying to think of the blues ones right at the moment. Oh, well, there's, there's. Ron, Chris Kane. Wee Willie Walker. Wee Willie Walker. Right. Yeah. Um, and now Alabama. Alabama Mike. Mike and, right. And yeah. then Marcel Smith has done sort of a soul. Right. Record. And then you did H.K. Harrell. D.K. Harrell. D.K. Yeah, Harrell. That's, and I did DK uh, Mary Flower. Really? Yeah. Now she's been around a long time, right? Right. But I just thought that it's not a matter of, you know, no, it's, it's not the very a matter old and the very young. I it's, mean, it's, it's more the idea of somebody that deserves some a platform. Well, it is that, but it's also somebody that somehow has a story that's somewhat compelling. Because I don't think being really good at what you do is in the music business is enough. I think you have to, I don't, or at least, I think that for in order for me to be able to help, for Little Village to help, there has to be some kind of underlying story that that they can they can promote themselves with mm -hmm. as well. And it, it has been um, Marina Krauss was a woman who was an R and B singer we did a record with. Oh, okay. And then she decided on her own to do um, a, a record in Spanish, and she really came was a singer for this. I think it's fair to say this transformation of where she came to realize who she was hmm. from doing, because she grew up in a house where you weren't allowed to speak Spanish, like a lot of people, hmm. I'm told, in the United States. Yeah. And actually the similar thing, I have to say, was that way with Aki Kumar, right. where it was this sort of ambivalence and, and tormented of, am I an American or am I an, an Indian, you know, or what am I? I remember and that this, whole thing really clearly. And, and this, yeah. and this comment, it, it, it has, you know the lasting of uh, the effect of it has had a, a, on his life. On his life, and I'll tell you, I did gigs with him where there were expats from India that, that we would do parties for, and they would just go nuts. Oh, I mean, they yeah. wouldn't just be go nuts. Yeah. Yeah. They would become overcome because here's something they're familiar with, right? And here's something they're familiar with, and you're combining right. the two, and they really felt a part of it. Yeah. And I love that kind of thing. It's like, you can have a month at Albert Hall, take it, I don't want it. I'll do this this kind of things. And it's happening, if I stop and think about it, it happens over and over again. So that's a big part of it. Well, the incredible thing about Aki, because I watched him go from, you know, tip of the top, which was like a small blues band. And then all of a sudden he kind of, I think him and Jason Ricci got together and they started. he started talking about this idea he had 
of doing the Bollywood. Well, that's thing. an interesting thing because actually, according to him, he I was the first person that he talked to about doing. Uh, it. He was definitely and talking I to actually, Jason. And I, I actually talked him into doing it, but Did that's you? okay. The, well, I know, I know. Jason this is was, also Jason the part where I don't take credit for. Well, Jason was definitely. I'm sure. Yeah, no, he was I, very I, much. The in great the, thing in about the, non, the great thing about nonprofit work too is is that it doesn't make any difference if it sells five records or a million records, because I don't own any of the records. Right, I, right. It's not going to make any difference in terms They're of... They're making the money. No, they, and yeah. they, they enjoy the success. Yeah, of the, yeah. Well, the, the, the big thing I got from Aki was that he was kind of at this place of, do I want to try to do this American art form, being somebody from India, or do I want to bring part of me into the whole thing? Right. And that that was the crux of where he was. Well, that's part of, you know, I'll tell you, that's part of the thing that I tell people, the perspective of artists with Little Village. I said, look, this is the first time and maybe the only time that a record company is going to say, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Right. Really right. do what the more right. you, because, you know, I have people coming to me and they say, well, I have a blues band and I have a corporate dance band and I have a jazz band and I have right. a swing band. Which one would you like? And I go, I don't want any of them. I only want you to do what, you know, who are you? What yeah. are you? Um, people don't, uh, a lot of times, and I think Berkeley School of Music and other places are responsible for everybody feels like they have to cover everything. When, as, as we know, it takes a lifetime just to learn one idiom. I'm still trying to figure out things about how to play blues, I certainly don't, you know, understand that, so. The other guy I thought it was Junior. You did a record on Junior Watson. Oh, yeah, no, that's yeah. right. And that was because of Kadar. Was it because of Kadar? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, and, and he, the other thing that's happened with Little Village is that there are people that are like, quote, unquote, sort of uh, more established, you know, that they don't want to deal with record companies They're, right. for whatever reason. I think Junior was kind of that. Yeah, way. Junior's probably like that. And you know, Chris Chris Kane, I should say, Chris Kane, when he made a record for Little Village, it was at a really, uh, um, probably a low point in his life. And, and from that, and you can ask Bruce, hey, look at Iglar, but you know, he, and I, he said I can quote him, is that he would not have signed, um, he would not have signed Chris if he hadn't done a record for Little Village first. Interesting. It was sort of a way of him proving that he had, it was capable of doing it. Huh. Interesting. So, yeah. Wow. And there's been other people, too, sort of examples like Well, that. Gary Vogelson's another one you did a record on. Yeah. Or the, he and, did and, the record and put it out on on no, I did. I, yeah. I played on it. And I did. Yeah. I didn't produce it. They kind of he kind of produced it himself. That was really good. I mean, it. it um, and I hope that it's done well for Gary. Um, mm -hmm. I, um, he. It's sometimes with people that are old, people that are our age, they just kind of go, oh, yeah, fine, I'll do it, take care of it from here. And I was talking to, you know, these, right. he didn't, and it wasn't anything intentional. It's just like he knew what he wanted to do and he did it. Mm -hmm. um, there are people that I feel, you know, I could have done a better job. You know, the thing is, for as much as people poo-poo blues music, and it only represents 0.008% of it. Right, it's tiny. I'll yeah. tell you, there's a blues society in every town in America, and there's there are more periodicals and more award shows, and these people, we support our music. God, I can't believe I'm saying things like that, but it is true. The idiom really does, for right or wrong, really supports, it's very supportive. So if you write, if you're a great Americana songwriter like Maurice Tanney, who we recorded, He's a vital part of Little Village and a brilliant songwriter. But man, it is a crowded field. And blues is crowded, but they give recognition. You're saying there's more, there's more support There's fan more outlet, outlets for yeah. it. There's more fans. There's right. more organization. It's really right. got this infrastructure that's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah, compared to Americana. Well, Americana is just, it's, 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 it's very, it embraces a whole lot. There's huge numbers of people trying to do the same thing. Right. You know? Right. It doesn't have the magazines. <laughs> yeah. The magazines are just, blues magazines are amazing. Or blogs, there's just like, it's endless. And I'm sure that there is, but Maurice has done, done and, and, and um, Gary Vogelson really could have, should have, he's got a beautiful voice. And he, 
He's a good songwriter. Yeah. So that record, song, I, that one yeah. was sort of one that got a little bit of what, and I don't yeah. want to say it's not a success. I just, I could have done a better job. Well, if you're doing 10 releases a year or nine releases a year, that's, that's going to keep you busy. Well, yeah, but it, a lot of it is, a lot of these record companies, I think, spend a lot of time trying to get paid or trying to pay people or trying to keep right. everything straight. That's a big part of their business. Right. But I don't do that. I mean, I, I hire publicists. I hire, you know, and everything. It's all kind of farmed out. Mm -hmm. You know, it, uh, it's worked out well, and it's continuing to, and it's got, now it's got, we're sort of in the process of, setting it up so that I can step away from it because I'm too old. Really? Well, that we're going to... You know, I mean, do you have kind of an apparatus yeah, already yeah. in place? I mean, there's a board of, you know, there's a board of directors and there's, and now it's with the purpose of setting it up in such a way that the thing can run itself if I step away. Wow. We'll get another executive director. That's pretty cool. Talk yeah. about some of the new people you're recording because I knew this... Uh, what's the, who's the woman from, I think she's from St. Louis? Candace, Candace Ivory. Yeah, yeah Candace, Candace Ivory. Um, she's a professor, I believe. And she has an, an amazing lineage. Um, she's a singer. She, um, she's related to, I, and I don't know enough about the idiom of that North Mississippi, um, whatever you call it. Um, Hill country music? Mm -hmm. She's related to those people, and she's also related to Joseph Jarman, I believe, the guy in the Art Ensemble of Chicago. Hmm. And she knows, she's very knowledgeable about all, all the way through. And she's done a record of tribute to, uh, so I guess you could call it a tribute, but it's the music of Memphis Minnie. They're all right. songs that she'd written. And we had hooked her up. I've been doing records with Charlie Hunter. Um, oh, okay. You know, yeah, I know who yeah. that is. Um, he used to live in the he's, Bay Area. He lives in Berkeley. Yeah. Right? yeah, and he's very much a Berkeley guy. Is he guy. still there? No, no, no. Yeah. He got a deal on Blue Note and moved to New York. Wow. And then right. he was a big, he's, and he's interesting, Mark, you yeah. would love this because he was a real serious jazz bow. He right. plays bass and guitar at the same time, which right. is just remarkable. And he's done pop, you know, not pop, but he did D'Angelo's Voodoo record, which is was made 20-something years ago, but still hmm. is one of the most definitive and influential records that's been made in the last 50 years. But um, he's done all kinds of stuff. And he, I knew him when he was in Disposable Heroes of Hypocrisy. So he's done rap and all that. But he, he moved to New York. Now he lives in North Carolina. And some, he lives in Greensboro. Somehow he fell into this thing of Blind Blake. Really? And he now says, yeah, these jazz bows call me up from New York and want me to come play at the Blue Note. And I go, nah, it's okay. I just want to stay here and learn Blind Blake. Wow. He's completely That's so gone cool. the other way around. That is most so Most cool, musicians man. learn blues and then yeah. on that can spin out yeah. and play jazz. He has played jazz and is now spinning back. And that playing. is such a trip. Man. Yeah, it is. And yeah. so this record has And got Blind Blake is not easy to play. Not easy. And he also will tell you that yeah. you all have been playing it wrong. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I think, from playing bass and playing well, guitar yeah, at the, the same whole, time. The whole, because there's yeah. this, he said, in order to play in, the, in, you know, the bars, you had to be able to play really, really loud. Mm. And you had to play really hard. Right. And there was various, because it was before amplification, right? Before amplification. Well, anyway, it's it's a fascinating thing. He made a record with, he's done three records for Little Village. One was his pedal steel, sacred steel guy, Deshaun Hickman, who I'm really happy to say has gotten, he didn't know anything about blues. He didn't know anything really, or, or about, you know, the BMAs or the blues blast. He's gotten nominated all over. I don't think he's won, but he's gotten embraced by this whole other audience of music, as well as it's spilled over into the now the the uh, bluegrass community in, in North Carolina, which is very progressive. Wow! They've started, you know, he's starting to appear on shows with them, and so it's just sort of blossoming out beautifully. Um, we did a record with the, Charlie Hunter with uh, with Nick Clark, who I'm sure is some. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And that wow. record too has done really has done really well. Wow, too. I did not know that. Yeah. Is he uh, playing Blind Blake type stuff? On no, it? no, he's not playing. No, this has got more. 
uh, but it, it's it's definitely it's singer songwriter. They're all songs by Nick. Uh huh. He plays harmonica. But it's Charlie Hunter backing them up. Yeah, Charlie Hunter and 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 a guitar player that he uses. Um, I mean, a, I'm sorry, a drummer that he uses down there. Mm -hmm. That's just really and it's a real interesting. I think North Carolina is a fascinating place. And Charlie's. Does he live very, in Asheville or something? Yeah, he lives in Greensboro. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I was spent a year ago. I, I went to I went to North Carolina for a week and drove around and listened to all kinds of music. Yeah, it's a pretty awesome state in terms of music. There's a lot yeah, going on. There's a there. lot going on. A lot going on. And, and um, my friend Bobby Radcliffe moved there, who was like a staunch New Yorker for like forty I know years. Right, right. Yeah, Bobby Radcliffe from from. Uh, He's from D.C. originally. Well, you know. Yeah, he's on Blacktop. <laughs> there are a lot of people. I mean, New Yorkers. What is it? Have you ever been to Cary, North Carolina? No. Cary is kind of in the middle of the of the triangle, Raleigh-Durham. Right, and, right. And it's right in the middle. And they call it the containment area for relocated Yankees. Really? That's what it stands for. Well, yeah, there's a thing of where New Yorkers. That's great. There are more New Yorkers in North Carolina. Than That's there. a trip, man. I had no idea. Now, uh, you did one that I thought was really fascinating on uh, this woman that worked at the uh, enrichment at the state park. Oh, that uh, was who, Betty Reed Sosk. she was like, how old? She's, well, no, she's 103. I think. She's 103. She was 100 years old. She was the oldest living park ranger and the oldest Park Ranger in America. It's at the uh, and Rosie was that River like an oral history that you did? Well, she had gone. Yeah, I, I conclude anything that can be recorded. On it. Yeah, and now it's kind of because she was fascinating. Man. Her thing, Mark, which you probably would find, she and we recorded a bunch. Of, well, or she had a bunch of speeches that she'd uh -huh. done for. Oh, like the. She, I heard her on NPR by that. Right. No, no. Yeah. She's she's become a really, she speaks at, I don't know, all those different kinds of uh, press clubs and right, different, right. like, yeah. corporate events. Right. She speaks. And, and uh, but anyway, she, one speech, she talks about, because she's from New Orleans, but she was raised in, basically in Berkeley. Hmm. But she said that World War II, that Kaiser shipbuilding went down into Arkansas, Louisiana, right. and Texas. Papered and it. there was something like a yep. hundred thousand people yep. that came to live in Richmond, Berkeley, and Oakland. Mainly yep. in Richmond, partially in Oakland, in Berkeley and Oakland. And she said that was really the beginning of the civil rights movement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean she's being kind of provincial, right? yeah. but it, but it really I mean with the way she describes it, it is because here are these people, close to 100,000 people that moved there. There's no real Jim Crow right. to speak of. Certainly not like there was in that part of the South. Mm -hmm. There wasn't that. So, so these people are riding to work every day on the bus. Right. They're eating in restaurants. They're having, they're having yeah. to figure out how to get along. It's a whole different way. And from that, and that's, you know, to me, musically, I swear, that's why when I came out from Chicago, and people said music in San Francisco, eh, I don't know. And I go listen as I go, and then I went over and discovered Mexican music and funk and gospel and all this stuff over there. And this merge convergence. I mean, right. really, little village in terms of, you know, that we'd say that the life filled with diverse music builds empathy. You know, and it makes for a better world. I mean, it, it sounds trite to say it. That's the great thing about music is you don't have to say it. You can just listen to the music. You can hear it in the music. But it really is Berkeley, Larry Blake's. It, it is. really it's is. Berkeley, the, absolutely. I mean, I don't mean to... to well, in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways I think what you've kind of done is is a bit of a carryover from what Strachwitz did. In Except that he, of, first of all, he was, that's He was a businessman. He was a, yes, was he was a businessman. And the other thing is, he was, uh, I'm a musician, and I'm only right. looking at it from right. music. And it's a different, it's a different place to be coming it, from. It's a yeah. different thing. It and is. I don't want to own publishing either. Right. I don't no, own, I know, because he was, I know a lot of, a lot of the inside scoop on I, that. I'm, so. I base what I do completely on emotion. Right. On emo the emotional what aspect hearing, of the music. Yeah. I don't care about. So, I mean, people go, well, you're a curator. And I go, no, I'm not. Yeah. I'm just, how, you know, when making music. You're just music finding with my things friends. you enjoy. That's all. I'm collecting yeah. things. And trying to, like trying to get things Rocks out on there. the beach or something. Yeah. Shells. 
that's all. And 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 it ends up, I think, you know, and so what started out as an idea, as like Mike Kappa said, that there's there's plenty of proof that this actually is working, mm -hmm. you know, whether I say it or not, it is. It's right. proof. I don't have to prove it. Right. There is proof. Yeah. So well, I love the idea of of like taking things that are interesting to you and putting them out there. To the benefit of people. Yeah. Too. And there's that. Yeah. Well, you were at that party at Kids House. I mean, in a lot of ways. Those well, I'm trying ways. to do that with these podcasts. I mean, the podcasts for me are something I'm not making a dime on. I'm Nobody that I'm interviewing is making a dime, but we're putting them out there. Well, I'm definitely making you know. a dime. I'm just, I'm making blues money. It's still money. Right. Not right. Place. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know. But my point is that, that, for me, it's interesting, like talking to people like you or, or you know, whoever else I'm talking to and putting it out there so people can find out about, you know, these stories, because it's all stories. Absolutely. Everything and, and, is stories. And I have learned that you're absolutely right. And the ability to tell your story is, or tell a story is more important to people who might support you than it is anything else. Yeah. You know, it's not. Yeah. You know, somebody said, you know, there's not enough time left in your life, Jim, to learn QuickBooks. Put those things away. Nobody, <laughs> tell me a story. Show me right. the magic. Don't right. show me those numbers. You don't know, have any idea what you're doing. I go, right. you know, all of a sudden, it's a, I'm in second year to algebra again. Jim. Well, I, I know it's got to be exciting for you to just have this kind of new thing that you're Oh, yeah. That you're excited about. It, it, it's you it's know. great, and and, and I'm very very blessed. And I have a lot, like I say, I have a lot of talented people, and you know a lot of them, um, and support from people. So I'm yeah. real grateful. I'm yeah. not, I'm, I'm, I, I was very close to becoming a bitter, cynical musician, and a lot of people probably think I say I'm, but I'm not. I'm I'm really inspired by things. Yeah, that's great. God, it ended up on a duck. Can I figure out a way to end up being really cool? Sure. Like Charlie. No, I know. <laughs> do an invitation. Uh, do do Luther well, you talk. You know, right? you forgot I really wanted to do a record for you, and you never even bothered to call me up. Wow, that's wild. Tell me, do Tucker. But Son of Rose would say, <laughs> Jim Pugh. I gotta say, for all the bullshit you've been spouting, you're a pretty good guy. Do you know, I've had that since I've gone bald and grown a beard. I've had people come up to me like Sonny Rhodes. I mean, I, 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 he died before I, um, I had a beard, but he came up to me at one point and goes, Jim, I had no idea that was you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's happening with all of us. I, mean, I, I know. It's like people just go, I'm sorry. I didn't, you know. Well, thank you, Jim. Yeah.